Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the diverse worlds of regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I'm thrilled to guide you through this week's episode. So let's jump right in. Sarah from New Society Publishers. At New Society, we are committed to ensuring that the health and diversity of the environment is conserved for the benefit of future generations. Find out more about how we put people and planet first at newsociety.com or on any of your favorite social media channels. Now the first three interviews in this ongoing series on reforestation and agroforestry have highlighted small personal projects on private land each with a different person in South or Mesoamerica whose primary motivations are to restore the forest and biodiversity of their land. In all three cases, producing a viable agricultural product was an important aspect of the project and one which brought in funds to keep the operation running, but profitable agriculture wasn't the primary goal for any of them. Now in this interview, I spoke with James Potter with the Inga Foundation, who talked with me about the work and project model of the foundation. In my own travels, I've seen a lot of slash-and-burn agriculture all over the world, from the rice paddies of the Philippines, the coffee plantations and cornfields of Guatemala, to cattle ranching in Mexico, and clearings for new palm oil plantations in Thailand and Malaysia. It used to baffle me that such a strategy for land management could still persist in this day and age. A lot of what I've tried to learn about in my time in those places is centered around how people farmed and managed fertility on their parcels. Now in my talk with James, he helps to explain the origins and motivations for slash and burn farming and the impact that it's had on the soil, as well as the economics for the people who practice it. From there, we talk about the Inga Foundation's unique approach to integrating Inga trees and all of their beneficial properties into the farming strategy for people who are used to burning their land in between crop seasons. We also look into the pilot projects that they've helped to create and the results of the implementation of this method over time. James also helps to unpack the common challenge of the transition period between the maturation for longer-term perennial species where yields may be too low for subsistence farmers to sustain themselves. Now, while I remain wary of any plan that promotes a standardized approach across many different contexts, I've been impressed by some of the fundamental challenges that alley cropping solutions present for helping farmers transition into practices which take much better care of the soil and biodiversity of their land in the process. Now, this is an episode that I would love to hear opinions and feedback from any of you who are listening, especially if you have personal experience working with alley cropping systems and intercropping within orchards or other tree plantations. Does the division work against the efficiency of the farm? Can the trees develop to a point where they shade out the crops in the alleys? How much diversity is beneficial for the trees and crops selected? And at what point do they start to compete for resources like light and nutrients in the soil? As always, you can leave comments on the website or email me directly at info at AbundantEdge.com. Now I'll hand things over to James. Hey, James, thanks so much for f- making time. It's, I know you've got this very busy schedule as a full-time teacher, but I'm really excited to talk to you about the Inga Foundation. So what do you say we just jump right into the questions? Sounds, sounds great, Oliver. It's really great. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to talking to you today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Now... I've been really excited about the projects and 
the advancement that this organization has been able to do for the ecosystems and the communities that it works with. But before we get started with that, could you tell me a little bit about your personal background and how you started to work with the Inga Alley Cropping Foundation? Sure thing. Uh, my involvement with the Inga Foundation began in about 2016 uh, when my mother, who is the secretary of the Inga Foundation, Lorraine Potter, showed me uh, Dr. Hans's documentary, uh, Up in Smoke. And it really opened my eyes uh, to the horror of slash and burn agriculture and the devastating uh, environmental and ecological effects that it's having uh, really on just ordinary people who are trying to make a living uh, for themselves and for their families. Uh, so after I watched this documentary, uh, my mother and I both decided that we were going to try and get the Inga Foundation, uh, which had been founded uh, as a nonprofit organization in the United Kingdom in 2007, uh, to get a branch of the Inga Foundation over to the United States. Uh, so we worked in 2016 to register the Inga Foundation as a 501c3 uh, in the United States, and we started uh, working uh, pretty much from the ground up from there. Um, I've been working as a grant writer for the Inga Foundation. I've been spreading awareness about the work that Dr. Hans is doing uh, with this incredible foundation, uh, and I feel really honored uh, to be a part um, of a solution that's helping uh, hundreds of people uh, in a part of the world uh, to make a living and to just uh, bring themselves uh, out of uh, poverty and this the environmental devastation that they're dealing with. Yeah, fantastic. I, I, I have seen the effects of these types of slash and burn agriculture practices around the world in my own work. So let's focus on that for a second and talk about what the problem is with this agricultural practice of burning out the understory and the forest of an area in order to use it as agriculture. Where did this start and how has it become such a, a dominant practice in many developing countries? Well, the thing about slash and burn, burn agriculture uh, is that it's a subsistence farming method. This is really just a method of agriculture that people use to grow basic food crops for themselves uh, and for their families. Um, it's essentially a decision to eat or, or, or not to eat. Um, and when people are put into that situation, they burn a few acres of uh, fertile rainforest uh, on which to grow their crops. Uh, and for about a year, the uh, nutrients from the soil and from the burning process um, feeds their crops. The problem is, is that slash and burn agriculture is not a sustainable, nor environmentally, nor ecologically friendly method of agriculture. Not only does it contribute billions of tons of carbon to the atmosphere, um, but uh, because the soil fertility doesn't last, um, people's crops fail uh, subsequently and it forces subsistence farmers uh, to depend on this uh, unsustainable system of agriculture to keep clearing uh, new acres of rainforest every few years just to survive, uh, which in turn, it's just this uh, vicious cycle uh, of destruction and devastation on a global scale. It's not just uh, practiced uh, in places like Honduras where Dr. Hans is doing his work, but it's practiced in the, in, uh, the tropics all over the world. And what the Inga Foundation really seeks to do is it seeks to provide these subsistence farmers uh, with an alternative and a sustainable alternative uh, that will raise them and their families out of poverty and to give them 
uh, crops year after year without having to slash and burn. Now, I've seen this, like I said, in some of my own travels and even in the community where I was living and working up until recently in Guatemala, we had people using slash and burn techniques in that community, in that valley where we lived. And as I came to understand it, now it's not the case in every community around the world, but it came from actually a fairly sustainable practice, which sort of got out of hand, Mm -hmm. where people would go and burn a small tract of land in the forest and plant mostly perennial crops like bananas and Mm -hmm. certain varieties of yucca and such, and sort of farm or garden those intensively for a short time until they started to kind of start to dip in fertility and whatnot. And then they would leave that place to sort of biodegrade, regenerate back into forest and repeat the process within another small area. Mm -hmm. But now that, you know, the global economy is demanding Mm -hmm. much, much more as far as production for low wages, like you said, the subsistence model does not allow those places to actually regenerate. And it's come to the point where entire forests have been burnt down for simple annual crops. Right. And, so it seems to me like it's much more of a driver from an unhealthy economic global model than it is from one where people were, were doing this for a long time, kind of within the bounds of what the ecosystem could provide. Mm-hmm. And so the Inga alley cropping solution here, can you tell me a little bit about how this plant was chosen and what were some of the results that gave hope that this could help to remediate or offer solutions for the slash and burn model? Sure. Uh, Well, Dr. Hans is a tropical ecologist uh, from Cambridge University. Um, Having talked with him, he is incredibly experienced both on the scientific research and the field uh, implementation of the Inga model. And he experimented uh, with a lot of different um, models and tree species over the course of about 25 years. Uh, He arrived at Inga uh, for a number of reasons. Um, And in 2012, he started uh, Inga alley cropping in Honduras uh, with about a dozen families uh, who were um, willing to implement the model. They were eager to, they were a little hesitant to implement the model at first uh, because of course they had really known no other way of agriculture other than slash and burn agriculture. Um, But they implemented the system in 2012. Uh, And what happened is that they realized that the Inga model uh, was much better than anything that they had been doing beforehand for a number of different reasons. Um, The Inga tree, first off, is we use a, a, a certain species of Inga known as the Inga edulis tree. Uh, it's a nitrogen fixing tree uh, such, that the, such that the tree itself uh, replenishes the soil. So these trees can be planted um, on soil that has been completely uh, degraded and devastated by slash and burn agriculture. And they can then regenerate that soil over the course of about two to three years. Uh, it takes about one to 2,000 trees to fully implement an Inga system, an Inga alley cropping uh, system uh, for a subsistence farmer. Uh, but what happens is that these trees are planted in long rows, um, and in between, that's, of course, uh, where the crops are planted. And it's not just crops like uh, wheat and beans and corn, 
Um, but over time, families are able to plant cash crops uh, such as bananas, pineapple, cacao, turmeric, all within these alleys. Um, another uh, another uh, aspect of Inga alley cropping that made it so appealing uh, to, far, to farmers, especially in the Las Flores region of Honduras, where Dr. Hans started his work, uh, is that much of the land that was burnt uh, was, were on these incredibly steep slopes. So what Dr. Hans found is that another huge problem with slash and burn agriculture um, that especially with widespread slash and burn agriculture like you talked about is that soil erosion is a huge problem because even if slash and burn agriculture is done on a small scale, uh, if it's done in areas where uh, the geography uh, is steep and unforgiving, it just causes rampant erosion, which essentially makes it such that the, the land doesn't have an opportunity to heal. Um, so the, the farmers found that the Inga trees were uh, anchoring themselves to these steep slopes and they were able to plant crops and it prevented the erosion. Uh, this was most apparent um, back in about 2016. There was this massive, massive storm that struck the Las Flores region in Honduras. Um, it was a few years into the uh, implementation of the Inga alley cropping model. So the, the alleys were still relatively young and the trees themselves were still relatively young and it just dumped water um oh pardon me it was in uh, 2015 i got my date slightly wrong it was in 2015 and, and what happened uh was that the farmers noted that their crops uh who the the farmers who had uh, implemented slash and burn who were still operating under that model uh their crops were just completely washed away by the erosion uh, and just the deluge of water that just swept their crops away. Uh, whereas farmers who had implemented Inga alley cropping found uh, that the Inga trees uh, anchored their crops to the soil uh, such that they were able to still uh, reap their crops and they, they, had, um, they had a harvest that year. So that was another advantage of the Inga alley cropping system. And um, pardon me, if, you, if I'm starting to ramble, uh, Oliver, please feel free to cut me off. <laughs> No, 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 you're doing fine. This is a really good illustration of some of the extra benefits of planting trees in general, not and just it, and the and it stuff. Oh, yeah, and it doesn't, and it doesn't stop there. Um, additionally, since so many of the farmers uh, in the tropics rely not on electricity but on uh, firewood, um, Inga, alley cropping, uh, Inga alley cropping, as we always say, is an integrated ecosystem. And that's, it's true because um, Inga alley cropping provides everything for the farmers. Um, not only does it, not only do the Inga trees produce a fruit uh, which farmers are able to eat and the seeds they're able to harvest to share with their neighbors and implement alleys themselves, um, but part of the Inga alley cropping process is that once the trees reach a certain height, um, they have to be pruned. What the pruning does, the pruning part of the operation, uh, farmers uh, strip the leaves from uh, from the branches. And they, leave the, and they leave the leaves to biodegrade as a mulch uh, to, again, stabilize the soil so the crops don't wash away. Farmers then uh, take those branches and use those in firewood for cooking. So not only do they have firewood, they have mulch, they have, they have uh, stable soil, they have crops that are planted in these alleys. So what it happens is that uh, the Inga alley cropping model simulates uh, the rainforest without uh, they're actually being that native rainforest on this slash and burn um, 
plot of land, it simulates that, uh, those um, circumstances um, so that the farmers no longer need to cut down virgin rainforest and then continue that unsustainable model. Yeah, and I think a lot of people who are familiar not only with this podcast, but with a lot of permaculture teachings and familiarity with nitrogen fixing crops understand how every time that a nitrogen fixing tree especially is pruned back, it releases the nitrogen that was stored that has been sequestered from the air back into the soil and makes it available to the rest of the plants. So you have a built-in fertilization system to say nothing of the extra nutrients added to the soil and the water retention ability of putting a mulch down from having dropped those leaves on top as well. Yes, indeed. And tell me about some of the crops that the project sites have had success in growing and have they been able to integrate uh, animal systems in as well? Um, For the most part, uh, the crops that are grown are largely corn and beans, which are their main uh, subsistence crops for families. Um, But cash crops such as pineapple, cacao, turmeric, bananas, um, black pepper, all of these uh, have been grown uh, successfully in the Inga alley cropping. Uh, Turmeric has been a local favorite uh, simply because um, of its uh, variety of uses. Even I take a turmeric supplement, so I like to I like to think that maybe my turmeric is coming from the Inga alleys. Um, it's just got such a it's got such um, powerful. Um, pardon me. It's just got there's so many. Um, uh, if I'm uh, the word the word is uh, is failing me. The nutrients and the antioxidants from the nutrients and the turmeric? antioxidants, not just in the turmeric. Um, but it really, the Anga alley cropping opens the doors for so many options for subsistence farmers to, to raise themselves out of poverty. Um, and that's really another great appeal of the Anga alley cropping model is, and that's what uh, partly Mike Han, uh, Dr. Hans has been uh, doing in Honduras is that he's been raising awareness, and I've been doing some as well, uh, to really raise awareness for farmers such that slash and burn agriculture is not just unsustainable ecologically and environmentally, uh, but even, uh, but economically it's completely unsustainable uh, such that farmers will continue to remain in poverty because they barely have enough crops to feed themselves. Uh, What Dr. Hands and the Ingle Alley cropping model offer is that alternative for people to raise themselves out of poverty and farmers have had uh, tremendous success uh, selling their crops and increasing uh, their um, increasing their uh, role as stakeholders in the local economies. They're able to uh, work with local vendors and local merchants to sell their uh, to sell their cash crops, and then in turn, at, and in turn, um, they're able to put that back into the economy. Um, I'm remind I'm reminded um, of a farmer in Honduras. His name, his name eludes me, but I can get you, I can get you that if you'd like. Um, he was in abject, he was in abject poverty in Honduras to such a degree that he was uh, about to immigrate into the, into the United States illegally just so that he could um, have a job so that he could provide for his family so that he could send money back for his family. Um, and when Dr. Hans was telling me this story, I was almost, it was, it was heartbreaking what he was telling me. Um, but what happened is that one of his neighbors had implemented the Inga alley cropping model, uh, and he had never heard of Inga alley cropping before. He was a subsistence farmer who had used slash and burn all his life. So his, his parents, 
Um, he had never known anything else, but his neighbor was telling him about all of these benefits, about you have crops year after year, you have enough corn to feed your family, you have firewood, you have everything that you need. And then he was showing him all of these wonderful cash crops that he was able to grow and sell and able to keep money for himself and for his family. Um, and sure enough, he, this, uh, this farmer reached out to Dr. Hands and the Inga Foundation and they helped establish alleys and now he's growing and thriving and so is his family and they're all doing incredibly well for themselves. Just one of the many success stories um, of Inga alley cropping. Yeah, that's a fantastic story and I've heard so many just like that. Much of uh, where I was living in Guatemala, many of the subsistence farmers there were teetering in between the option of staying and trying to make a living on increasingly infertile land, mm -hmm. especially in the rocky kind of mountainous region where we were, where there was risk of erosion and those cycles of slash and burn were starting to, to you know, completely deplete the few resources left for agriculture and considering migrating up. And it made me think a lot that perhaps if we put half of the resources in the United States going towards um, anti-immigration policies and trying to keep people from crossing the border from the South, if we were to put those resources into programs like Inga cropping and giving people better options, from everyone who I spoke to down in that region, they would much rather stay where they are, remain in their communities, and be able to provide well for their families and, and the people that they support. But because of those lack of options is why they're considering going up. And it just makes me think that, you know, redirecting some of those resources could solve both problems and really increase the livelihoods of people in their own countries. 100% mm -hmm. agree, Oliver. And it's also because a lot of, a lot of, about, uh, a lot of what you hear about climate change uh, and the and carbon emissions and carbon sequestration, um, slash and burn agriculture contributes more carbon to the atmosphere than all global transport combined. Um, so it's really about going for the big results with climate change. Is that if we can if we can cut slash and burn, if we can stop slash and burn agriculture by providing people with sustainable alternatives uh, to it, then I think um, we have taken a tremendous step towards addressing the problem of climate change. Absolutely. Now, let's talk about some of the details here that I just wasn't quite clear on through the website. When you're creating these alley cropping models, are you following a contour line on the slope of the site or does it, has that not been tried out so much yet? Um, it hasn't been tried out so much as far to my knowledge of following contour lines on the slope. Um, they're pretty much just planted uh, in parallel uh, hedgerows, uh, whether that's um, horizontally or vertically going up the mountain or uh, going up or down the mountain is, is something that I'm not completely familiar with. Um, but I think that uh, Dr. Hans is always experimenting with the model and trying uh, new things to uh, improve it for the sake of the, the farmers themselves. Mm. And I remember kind of working with the communities where I was at in Guatemala and a lot of the issues with trying to work into an agroforestry model is the amount of the time that it takes for trees and sort of longer maturing shrubs or perennials to mature mm -hmm. and trying to bridge that gap in between how long it takes to get uh, those systems established and start to have a harvest from them. And the money that is lost in the interim and many times, especially in the 
context in which you're working, people don't have that time in which they can stop uh, making some sort of money because they're kind of walking a razor's edge on, on insolvency to begin with. Right. How do you bridge that gap in the time it takes for the systems to establish? Uh, and and that's, uh, that's one of the, the wonderful things about Inga Alley cropping is how quickly uh, it takes off. Um, most, Inga Alley, most Inga Alley cropping systems are ready for that first stage, the pruning stage like I was telling you about. They're ready for that after about a year to a year and a half. Um, Inga trees reach their maturity at around two to three years. Uh, so it's good to prune them pretty frequently, uh, not just uh, so that the farmers have firewood and mulch, um, but also so that the trees can contribute to, can continue to contribute uh, nitrogen to the soil, um, as well as protect uh, farmers' crops. Um, it's difficult for it's difficult to implement uh, at first, like you were saying, uh, with families walking that razor's edge. Uh, who are in the slash and burn models, um, but once it is implemented, it's it takes care of itself. Um, we have people in Honduras who work with people who are just starting out and just implementing the Inga Alley cropping model. Um, we've got about twelve paid um, people in Honduras uh, who work uh, with the uh, families and farmers who are implementing the system. Uh, so they're. We're constantly checking in on them to make sure that the system is being implemented properly, uh, to make sure that they're planting crops uh, properly, and that it's essentially, it's a teaching model, it's a teaching system. So that after that two to three year threshold, uh, families can do it for themselves. Um, that in turn is, uh, can lead to uh, the spreading of the system from farmer to farmer. One of the ultimate goals of the Inga Foundation is to have the model become almost a farmer to farmer initiative, um, a grassroots model where the Inga Foundation trains, and we've currently trained about 240, 250 families in the Inga alley cropping model. Um, we'd like to increase that number 1,000 fold. Um, because the ultimate goal would be to have the families teach each other to make it this self-replicating model um, that can be spread across the tropics, not just in Honduras, but in Guatemala, in Brazil. Um, and the Inga alley cropping model can even be um, replicated in uh, other tropical nations across the world, in Asia and as well as in Africa. Uh, there are uh, species of the Inga tree, or, and there are other uh, nitrogen-fixing species that Dr. Hans has done intensive research on uh, that would work uh, in similar uh, agroforestry uh, alley cropping models. Now, that's perfect because I was just about to ask, where else have you worked or tried out some projects aside from just Honduras? Mm -hmm. Uh, and um, just as a just as a follow up to that question, um, Dr. Hans, who's done who's done nearly so it's been over twenty five years of research uh, into the Inga alley into Inga alley cropping uh, and into slash and burn agriculture. He he started out actually as um, an engineer, but once he saw uh, the devastation that alley cropping was causing, he knew that it was his calling uh, 
to make these people's lives better and to, to bring them some, some hope. And uh, so that's, what, that's exactly what he did. Uh, he dedicated his time and his energy to researching alternatives for these people. Um, and he partnered with the Royal Botanical Gardens uh, in Kew, with, with whom he still has a working relationship. He's done a lot of research with them. Um, he even established a rainforest. He helped to establish a rainforest biome there, uh, in which a lot of uh, in which he's bringing awareness uh, to uh, people in England um, about well, what is the rainforest and and why do we need to save it? Why does it matter? And why can we not allow? Or why do we have to provide an alternative to slash and burn agriculture? Uh, and that's really where he's done a lot of his research. Um, although. Uh, in, Hon in Honduras, uh, it's proven. He's proven it with the families that are implementing the system successfully and on their own. Um, and he, can, he could do it uh, in tropical nations around the world. There have been, there have been a number of uh, testing uh, and, and uh, demo farms uh, in Honduras. Um, and there have even been uh, other nations. Uh, Basically, uh, we're talking about uh, groups of farmers from other nations uh, who have come to uh, Honduras and seen uh, the work uh, that he's uh, doing there. Uh, and they've taken back uh, Inga, uh, Inga uh, trees to their respective nations, uh, and they have even taken back some of the um, education that, the, that they were given uh, it was back in 2015 that Dr. Hans hosted a number of people from various Central American nations, and and really they worked hands-on uh, with Dr. Hans and the Honduran staff uh, to go over every step of the process of implementing Inga Alley, Inga Alley, uh, Inga Alley's, pardon me, uh, in their respective countries, and they they were from all over, uh, from what he told me. Uh, they were from places like Guatemala, Brazil, Honduras, you name it. They came from all over. I think it was at least 13 of them. It was at least 13 of them from all over who wanted to implement Inga alley cropping uh, in their respective countries. Now, just curious, what is the range of hardiness zones where the Inga can survive? Just to give me an idea of like how far this could spread latitude um, as far as specific lines of, of, of latitude and longitude, I, I don't know if I can uh, provide those. Uh, but, I, but the Inga edulis tree, um, which is uh, native to South America, it can spread all over South America. As, as It can spread all over South America for sure. Um, but there are uh, analog uh, species uh, because the Inga edulis is just one of many species of Inga trees. Uh, there are other species of Inga trees, some of which have nitrogen-fixing properties uh, that could work in other nations uh, across uh, the world. Um, but there are also uh, analog species of nitrogen-fixing trees that Dr. Hans has done research with that could work in other nations uh, in Africa as well as in Asia. Now, from another environmental perspective here, is there a risk of the Inga becoming an invasive species and taking over and causing havoc in native or otherwise established ecosystems where it's being implemented? Uh, as, far as, the, uh, as far as implementing uh, Inga trees in monocultures, uh, Dr. Hans has had no problem implementing uh, Inga trees in monocultures uh, with, and them in turn becoming invasive. Um, 
It's partly due because of the families who sustain the model, who sustain the system. Um, that the families who depend upon the Inga alleys keep the Inga alleys in check. Um, Inga trees grow quickly. That's one of the uh, ad advantageous things about uh, the Inga tree. Um, but no threat has yet to come of Inga trees planted in these monocultures forming an invasive species. Uh, forming an invasive species. Um, they are and they are a tree that grow naturally in the rainforest, and there are massive uh, Inga trees that Dr. Hans has reported finding down in Honduras. Uh, some of them, you know, a hundred years old, old, old Inga trees, just in the middle of uh, just in the middle of the forest. Um, so they they're right at home uh, in the rainforest. Um, but the Inga tree does do a really good job. One thing it does a great job of is uh, keeping out uh, invasive trees. There are, it does keep out invasive species of, of weeds and plants um, such that farmers don't need to worry about growing their crops um, and their crops being choked out by weeds. Um, they're able to plant their crops and grow them in as close to a forest floor as can be simulated by um, an Inga model. Hmm. And now, what does this do for the biodiversity of the regions affected? Now, obviously, where you're going to implement this and where the trees are being planted, mm -hmm. the, the land has already been basically stripped bare by the fires, right? And establishing any kind of perennial system is going to help the biodiversity in mm -hmm. some way. But are there any other incentives to plant or cultivate the, the native species that were removed in the first place? Or could, does it have the potential to bring back some of the, the birds and the fauna that oh, are uh, yes. in need of new habitat? Yes, indeed. I mean, the Inga model um, not only allows for the some of the local flora and fauna to return because it's now able to, it can survive um, because it's not being scorched uh, by the sun in these uh, humid and, and tropical ecosystems. So the biodiversity, both the flora and the fauna uh, can return uh, as far as uh, biodiversity of other trees. Uh, the Inga Foundation does have a nursery, not only uh, as a large nursery, nursery, no, actually it's, it's three nurseries. Uh, the one, we, we recently built one um, in which they can germinate upwards of 100, 200,000 trees. Um, not just Inga trees, uh, but it's also about uh, other native species of trees uh, in which we in which the Inga in which the Inga Foundation eventually does hope um, to one, once the uh, model has proven it once the model has uh, regenerated the soil to a degree where trees can be planted. Uh, if farmers would like to plant hardwoods, uh, they're more than welcome to do so, uh, as long as the Inga trees that are as long as the Inga trees that are there have regenerated the soil enough to a degree that they're able to plant hardwoods to bring back that biodiversity with the uh, trees so that we can really bring back the rainforest. Now, from the perspective of the cultivators, of the farmers who are implementing this, 
Is there any, like, I can imagine some of the hesitation being that space is now given up on the land Mm -hmm. that could otherwise be occupied by more profitable plants. Mm -hmm. And I know some of the other sticking points that people have been wary of is that these intercroppings of trees could shade out the crops that they are trying to grow. How do you help to convince uh, the people who are considering implementing this method that planting trees is actually within the interest of whatever crop that they're trying to gain an income from? Uh, great question. Uh, great question. Um, so with the farmers who are concerned about profit, um, Inga has, the Inga Foundation has a demo farm in which uh, they're able to uh, educate uh, farmers who come to, to visit. Uh, that was actually how uh, the Inga Foundation and the, the Land for Life project was started in 2012, uh, where the about a dozen families who had visited the demonstration farm in Las Flores, uh, they decided that they were going to sign up. Uh, they decided they were going to sign up for the uh, Inga alley cropping model. So that's the, the first step of uh, convincing a family or farmers who want to implement um, an Inga alley cropping model, but are concerned about profit, uh, is namely through education. Education is a is as a, as a teacher, I know the value of an of an education and how sometimes uh, someone can have such a such a deep seated notion or an idea in their head that frankly it it might be a little flawed. Um, but it's your job as a teacher not just to to say that it's flawed, but to give someone a new way of thinking, a better way of thinking, or to approach a problem from a different perspective in which you've learned something and you're better as a result of it. Uh, so for families who are concerned solely about profit, they make, a more, they, they make more profit using the Inga alley cropping model than simply by having fields of slash and burned, uh, slash and burnt land on which they grow a few crops for a few years. It's, it's a question of, of, would you rather, it's a question of, would you rather, it's of a short-term, of short-term profit or long-term profit. So really with a, with a profit, it's all about convincing families of the long-term solution and how in the long-term you're going to make a lot more money implementing Inga alley cropping as opposed to uh, slash and burn. As far as uh, shading, as far as uh, the Inga, Inga trees, uh, shading out um, other crops. Um, the shade is necessary in the Inga alley cropping model. The shade and the mulch are two incredibly important pieces. The only, um, the only outside fertilizer that Dr. Hans uses in the Inga alley cropping model is rock phosphate, which is a relatively cheap and abundant fertilizer. He gets it from Florida. He gets it by the metric ton so I, I, when I was going over his budgets uh, one day, I'm like, Dr. Hans, why do you have a line item for like six tons of rock phosphate? He's like, oh, we need it. So I was like, all right, I'm not, not going not gonna to ask any questions. Um, so the shade, is, the shade is important because um, it, it, it shades out the sun. The sun is incredibly harsh in these tropical regions. Um, so it's important that the crops are protected. Um, at least while uh, they're germinating and while they're, and while they're uh, 
still young uh, so that they're not burnt to a crisp. Um, and then the mulch, of course, nourishes them. The rock phosphate as the fertilizer um, also nourishes them. The nitrogen-fixing trees nourishes the crops. Um, so that by the time that the crops are ready to, the, the farmers are ready to get a crop that they're ready to harvest, um, you've got incredibly strong plants. You've got, I mean, just looking at some of the images that Dr. Hans has sent me, he's got some of the biggest pineapples I've ever seen in my life. They're, they're just massive. And I, and, and these, these cash crops are as large as they are simply because they've been nourished by an Inga alley cropping model, uh, not just from the beginning stages, but all the way through the process. Um, and as far as uh, generating interest, as far as how we uh, generate interest in the model uh, for the farmers, uh, again, it returns, back, it returns to education. Uh, in the, 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 the long-term uh, goal of the Inga Foundation is to actually establish an educational center uh, where the foundation can showcase uh, success stories like the one I was telling you about and to um, host delegations from all over the world, from tropical regions all over the world, uh, as well as to send people back uh, with uh, not only Inga trees, but also with um, analogous species to prove that this model can not just work, that just works in Honduras, can work elsewhere. Um, because what I see time and time again uh, with environmental organizations is that you see people saying, oh, we just, we just need to plant trees. We just need to keep planting trees and keep planting trees and keep planting trees. And although reforestation is excellent, I'm a big fan of reforestation. I, I, I grew up on a tree farm, actually. Um, and I understand the value of it. The problem is that unless you have a model in place whereby the trees that you plant can be tended to and taken care of and someone is is there the whole way making sure that they're not dying and that they're they're being watered etc uh you're not creating a sustainable model and and really with environment with the environmental crisis that we're facing as a world today we need something, we need a model that is sustainable for everybody. And that's what I, and that's the, and that's what um, we believe at the Inga, that the Inga alley cropping model can provide. I agree with what you're saying, uh, not just from the economic standpoint and the ability to kind of help to recuperate from what seems like an antiquated system, but these days it, it seems more urgent than ever. I mean, we're coming at a time uh, within the last couple of weeks where huge, huge fires have been set in the Amazon rainforest, just further south from where a lot of your demonstration sites are. Yes, and, uh, you know, most of this is motivated through um, an investment in agricultural model, especially towards producing cattle and producing soy. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's the potential to grow and to reap so, so much more from a more diverse ecosystem. Mm -hmm but I'm seeing a lot of potential application for this type of model in the immediate recuperation of 
the viability of these damaged ecosystems coming off of such major destruction. Mm-hmm. Where do you see this potentially going and generating interest, especially as this is an increasingly hot button issue? Um, well, where we, uh, where we see this uh, generating uh, interest most is, what we, well, ideally worldwide. Uh, the Inca Foundation would like to see uh, the model replicated in the tropics worldwide. Um, the investment, like you said, is a, is a huge issue. Um, the Inga Foundation is it's a, it's a lean organization. Um, we've helped about 250, 260 farmers so far since 2012. Um, but eventually the, the hope is, like I said, to, to make that, to make the uh, Inga alley cropping model, that self-replicating model for farmers so that they are taking that initiative um, and they're uh, spreading the word to, uh, they're spreading the word without the need for outside investment. Uh, right now, however, at this stage where um, an immediate solution and a viable solution is needed, uh, investment is necessary. The, the problem that's faced is, like you said, uh, where so much of the investment is going to uh, factory farm with to factory farms for cattle or these massive uh, plots of land for soy, uh, it's difficult to get that investment. Um, so the ultimate, uh, the the goal of the Inga Foundation right now is to spread awareness uh, to show people uh, that this is the solution. That this is that if you're going to invest uh, in a nonprofit. If you're going to invest in a nonprofit to save the rainforest, that, that this is the one. With that said, how can our listeners get in touch with you and the organization and reach out to either donate or get involved uh, more actively? Excellent. Uh, great. Thank you so much uh, for that question. And the best way to uh, get in touch uh, with the organization is to first go to our website, uh, which is www.ingatree.org. I-N-G-A-T-R-E-E dot org. Um, another great way to reach out to us is to drop us a line on uh, Gmail. Our, our email is uh, ingatrees at gmail.com. Uh, Both of those are great ways to reach out to us, to donate to us, to just contact us because we, we've got a lot of really good information on our website. You can find a lot of uh, materials that we have there. Uh, we've got a number of videos that show um, why the Inga Alicroft model is so revolutionary and, and such a, a breakthrough to save the world's rainforests. Wonderful, James. Thank you so much for taking the time to explain this system uh, to me a lot better. I learned a lot from the, uh, from the website itself, but to kind of have these questions answered in a sequential manner and kind of spelled out not only with the the information, but also with the stories behind it and the people that it affects was really, really important for me. So again, thanks for taking the time. I really urge people, especially in these times of uh, such destruction in our natural resources, the rainforest especially, to reach out and see what you can do and look into alternatives such as the Inga alley cropping model. Um, And hopefully we can do a follow-up as this continues to grow and hopefully continue to gain traction down the line. Sure thing. I'd really, I really liked the, the opportunity to talk to you again to give you, a, to give you updates on, on the incredible work that we're doing.
Fantastic. Well, again, thanks so much for taking time. You have a great rest of your day and we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. All right, that wraps things up for this week's episode. If you enjoyed this interview and want to find more like it, as well as articles and other resources, you can find the full library of previous podcasts at AbundantEdge.com. The best part is that you can search by topic rather than wading through more than 100 interviews by typing in any keyword or topic that you're looking for in the search function on the podcast page. I've spoken to experts on everything from growing your own food, building homes from natural materials, to beekeeping, vermicompost, permaculture design, philosophy, and so much more. Thank you so much to those of you who've taken the time to reach out via comments and emails. Your contributions help me to make this the conversation that it's intended to be and helps me create more of the content around the topics that you're interested in. If you have any insights, advice, questions, or suggestions, be sure to send them to me at info at abundantedge.com and I'll look forward to being in touch. New episodes come out every Friday like clockwork, so I'll catch you on next week's show.